cute ones at the end, right? Well, it's really good to see you this morning. I'm, I'm very happy to, to be here because I had a little accident last night and uh, might not have been uh, here. It happened in the conference room out here. Uh, I was just about to come in to preach last night and uh, I, I won't say uh, who it was because I, I don't want to embarrass Pastor Rick, but what happened is that... Uh, he came to help me with my microphone, took away the chair from behind me. I didn't realize he had. And I sat down in a chair that was not there. Thanks for your compassionate response there. Appreciate that. Oh, Hosanna, I did say. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name. Well, it's good to be with you today. And we're going to continue this weekend this series portraits of Jesus and this weekend we're going to be thinking about the portrait that emerges in John chapter 10 where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, the good shepherd and we're going to be thinking today uh, about the truth about almost everything. That's a high sounding title uh, but I think we'll understand as we journey together. So John chapter 10 and we're reading from verse 11 are words from Jesus here. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Can uh, and I have had a wonderful week this week. We took a few days out and we took a road trip through uh, Colorado. We drove just under a thousand miles this week. Would you agree with me in my conclusion that Colorado is probably the most beautiful place on earth? It is just, it is just incredible. The variety, the diversity of this beautiful state. It's a privilege to be here. And uh, a couple of days ago, we stopped by this river. I, I don't know where it was. I was just following the demonized lady in the GPS system. And I, uh, <laughs> we stopped by this river and we were admiring this river. And this older gentleman walked up to me. Kay was taking some photographs uh, of the river. And he walked up to me. And you know that friendly conversation that can happen between strangers? We were, we were talking about the beauty and the weather and... Uh, he said, you know, he said, you can take trips down the river, you know. And I said, oh, that's interesting, sir. And he said, yeah, the rangers around here, they'll, they'll take you down the river. And he said, you know what? He said, you could get a golden era discount card. 
so he's going on about this golden era discount card. And I said, well, excuse me, sir. I said, but exactly how old do you have to be to get the golden era discount card? And he said, oh, just, just 63. Now, I'm 52, actually 53 the day after tomorrow, but I'm holding on. You know what I'm saying? And I said, well, I, I, I said, I'm only 52. And he looked at me astonished. Like, oh, you English people, you have a different system of counting, huh? He looked at me as if I was crazy and deluded. Now, 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 Marge. We're going to have to have a little church discipline going on here. <laughs> I'll talk to this side, okay? I just got to write this down. Marge was very naughty. You know what, by the way, I just got to say this. I love Marge. She's just, just the best. I don't even know what I'm preaching about now. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, they looked at him like he was crazy and deluded too. You see, we, we uh, hear these words. We look at this portrait, perhaps. This was uh, painted by the 19th century a German artist, Bernhard Plockhurst. And it, it looks kind of innocuous, doesn't it? Harmless Jesus, the good shepherd, smiling at the lamb. And, and it looks lovely, uh, precious. Actually, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, it would have had the effect of being like a, a verbal stun grenade to the crowd. Remarkable. Almost, perhaps, audacious in some of their eyes. Because, you see... This idea of the shepherd was very familiar in Jesus' day. In fact, it's a very familiar biblical term. The first occupation that's described in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, is that of a shepherd. And throughout history, the shepherd was an image of rulership and authority. So if you ever see one of those Egyptian displays in a museum, you will see Pharaoh. The Pharaoh always is holding a shepherd's crook in his hand, because it's a symbol of authority. But in the Jewish mind, the shepherd of Israel was Jehovah, was Yahweh himself. And so in Isaiah, in Ecclesiastes, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, in, in the Psalms, we have this picture built up there of God, the shepherd, and now Jesus is saying, I'm the shepherd of the flock. And elsewhere in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, we, we read there about him being the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5 and verse 4. So Jesus is making a very stunning statement here, but it's also a very uh, radical statement as well because he expands the flock. And in verse 16 he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. You see, this is explosive because Jesus is saying, hey, I am the shepherd 
And then he's saying, and by the way, the boundary lines of the flock have hereby been eradicated because the Gentiles will come too and there will be one big flock together. These are radical words I want to suggest, radical words for us as well. In fact, let me make this statement. I believe that in these ten verses of the Bible, there is the truth about almost everything. In these ten verses, you find the truth about us, you find the truth about God, you find the truth about life, and you find the truth about love. And if we miss any one of those four, and we're going to investigate each one together, then I think life won't work as it was intended. So let's, let's follow along in the bulletin. First of all, in this passage is the truth about humanity. The truth about humanity, and we, we might be mildly offended at this, because the truth is, we're like sheep. There you go. That's kind of blunt, but that's the way it is. We're like sheep. Sheep are mentioned 750 different times in Scripture. By far the greatest reference to any animal in the Bible is to sheep. And a very familiar metaphor is the truth that we human beings, that means you sir, you ma'am, and that person sitting in front of you and behind you, however bright, however clever, however gifted, we have <laughs> sheep-like tendencies. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. 1 Peter 2, 25, you were all like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, I think it's kind of important that we get that because we human beings can get the impression that we're basically rather stunningly clever and just occasionally stupid. And let's face it, we can be giftedly stupid. Please don't punch the person next to you. That's, that's not right. Uh, I, I discovered this week some actual transcripts from some courtroom cross-examinations. And by the way, if you're an attorney, just, I'm just saying this with a smile, okay? So don't get, don't get mad. Uh, but these are actual uh, transcripts of some courtroom conversations uh, between highly intelligent people. And, uh, and here, are, here, are some of, here are some of them. Uh, here's the first one. The questioner is always the attorney. Question. She has three children, right? Answer. Yes. Question. How many of them were boys? Answer. None. Question. Were there any girls? Here's another one. Question. What happened then? Answer. He said, I have to kill you because you can identify me. Question. Did he kill you? <laughs> Answer. No. Here's my personal favourite. Question. Doctor, before you performed the autopsy, did you check for a pulse? Answer. No. Did you check for blood pressure? Answer. No. Question, did you check for breathing? Answer, no. Question, so, is it possible the patient was alive when you began the autopsy? Answer, no. Question, how can you be so sure, doctor? Answer, because his brain was sitting on my desk in a jar. <laughs> but hold on. Question, 
but could the patient have still been alive nevertheless? Answer, it is possible that he could have been alive and practicing law somewhere. (laughs) Just kidding. When the Bible looks at us, the Bible says we are like sheep. And let's face it, sheep aren't bright. You've never been to a circus and seen a performing sheep, have you? How many of you have ever been to SeaWorld? SeaWorld, they got the orca does the stuff. You've not been to Farm World, have you? Just look at the performing mutton. <laughs> I went to a house once. It's absolutely true. They had a pet sheep in the house. And they had, it had to have its own diapers. Because they're not that bright. And they're good at wandering. It comes natural. And what happens with sheep? I've been studying this this week. What happens with sheep is that they, they get themselves rolled over into little burrows and holes in the ground and they, they are completely immobilized and they, they just lie on their backs, their little feet, you know, and their cowboy boots flapping away, you know. And they are completely incapacitated and if the shepherd doesn't come along, it's called being cast, they will die. The gases build up in their lungs and they will die. And the shepherding word to to rescue the sheep is to restore it. Remember that the psalmist says, he restores my soul. The shepherd comes and shifts the center of balance in the sheep and the sheep uh, just hops up again. But you see, that's what happens. We we, we are not that bright sometimes. We're really good at wandering. Oh, by the way, has anyone ever noticed sheep do stupid things in herds? It's been known for a whole flock of sheep to run over a cliff together. Why? It's like, duh! Everyone else is running over the cliff. I suppose I will too. Might have happened last night in Old Town. I don't know. People were out last night just having innocent fun and enjoying life. That's nice. And... There would have been one or two last night who were out with their friends. And my friends have had 15 pints of beer. And I think I will too, because I follow the herd. So I will drink another beer and then go home and hug the ceramic toilet. (laughs) Duh. Bah. Need to write that down. That's correct. You know, fellas, we, forgive me ladies, this is not a sexist comment, but we men, we sometimes laugh at you because, because you go to the bathroom in groups, you know. Have you noticed that, ladies? You know, one of you says, I need the bathroom. 65 of you jump up and... <laughs> That's why you take so long. You're in there taking a number, you know. And we men don't do that, you know. I don't say to the pastoral team, I, I need the bathroom, boys. Anyone want to come with me? I think I'll move away from this analogy swiftly. <laughs> but I tell you what, men and women, we can, we can run with the herd. Well, everyone's doing it. Well, everyone can be wrong. The Bible describes us as being like sheep. What does that mean? Well, that probably means, first of all, let's lower our expectations of each other a little because we can get really mad because we disappoint each other. The next time that Christian makes you a bit irritated, just, just say to yourself, sheep. Cheap. It's cheap. 
Now, don't say it out loud. And remember that you're one too. And maybe we should heighten our sense of dependency because are you like me? It all goes wrong when I think I know. We are like sheep gone astray. That's the first thing we see. Secondly, secondly, we see here the nature of God. The nature of God. He is good and he knows us. First of all, this is what humanity is like. We are like sheep. Secondly, this is what God is like. He is a shepherd. Oh, not only is he a shepherd, this is very important, he's the good shepherd. Now, why did Jesus say he's the good shepherd? It's because in Jesus' day, most shepherds weren't. By the time of Jesus, the shepherd role was a dishonorable role. Do you remember in the Bible, the Pharisees often coined this phrase, this man eats with sinners. Now, they weren't just using the word sinner in the way that we use the word sinner, someone who sins. No, there were seven trades, there were seven occupations that were specifically designated as sinner trades. And shepherds were designated as sinners because they tended to uh, lead their flocks onto land that didn't belong to their flock owner. They would sell the sheep and the milk Um, pocketing the money rather than passing it on to their employers. And so by the time of Jesus, the noble role of shepherd had descended into a sinful role of shepherd. And so Jesus comes and he says, I am the good shepherd. I've got a question for you. It's a rhetorical one. Don't answer out loud. Is your God good? Because my God's good. He is good. And I think it's so important that we know that he is good. A few years ago, a rumor went around, uh, around preachers um, about this sort of shepherding motif that a shepherd would break the leg of, its, of his sheep in order to discipline the sheep. And, you know, the, those pictures of Jesus carrying the sheep, preachers said, yeah, the reason he's carrying it is because he just busted his leg. I want to just be emphatic with you about that. You might find that on the internet. There is absolutely, there are no grounds whatsoever in believing that myth. Absolutely not. And what kind of portrait does that give us of God? Imagine if you went to the grocery store this afternoon and you meet little little Jimmy, he's ten, and he's got his arm in a sling. And you say, hey Jimmy, how you doing? And he says, not, not too good, I, I, my arm's broken. Oh Jimmy, I'm sorry, how did you get a broken arm? Well, I was very naughty and my daddy broke my arm just to tell me not to be naughty. I know how you'd respond, you'd say, well Jimmy, let me give you some good news. Jesus is just like that. And if you mess with him, he'll break the other arm, honey. That is, why do we, I'll tell you what you'd do, you'd call children's services. Why do we inflict an abusive notion of parenting on the God who is good? Now I know that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But I've got news. Jesus is not carrying that sheep because he just mugged the sheep. This God that we serve is good. And if he disciplines us, it's because he loves us. And we better get that right because terrible things happen in the world when people believe that God is bad. Frederick Nietzsche, 
the famous philosopher. Many historians believe that Nietzsche's philosophy, together with Wagner's music, strongly influenced the formation of Nazism and the development of Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. Nietzsche was the son of a Lutheran minister, but he developed an idea of a bad shepherd. Uh, here's a quote from Nietzsche. He saw with eyes that saw everything, all my concealed disgrace and ugliness. He crawled into my dirtiest nooks. This most curious one had to die. Nietzsche declared war on God because he believed God to be bad and it could be said, although maybe it's an oversimplification, let the historians discuss it, it could be said that that notion of a bad God led in some ways towards a holocaust. God is good. And when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he doesn't use the word agathos, good morally and intrinsically. He uses the word kalos, which means beautiful. Let me ask the question, is your God the beautiful one? He's beautiful. He's good. He knows us. Isn't it true that it's one thing to know God, but it's even more wonderful to know that you're known by God? He knows your name, sir. He knows how many hairs there are on my head, a decreasing calculation these days on a daily basis. Get this. Get this. He absolutely knows everything about you. Imagine how embarrassing that would be if we knew everything there is to know about you. Wouldn't that be fun if we had a video display over our heads? No. His is not the love of romance. His is the love of all-knowing. Knowing everything about us and yet still loving us. We are known. He is beautiful. And that means that you're unique. Bill Hybels says God is a variety junkie because when he came to making beetles and weevils, he didn't make one species, he made 300,000. What that means, sir, is that you can, if you'd like, you can quit that treadmill pursuit of being like somebody else because Ephesians 3.20, you're his workmanship. Peomi is the Greek word, poetry. There's only one of you. And I'm not just saying to you, be who you are. And that's not the Bible. I am saying to you, be who God has made you to be. You are unique. The nature of us, we're like sheep. The nature of God, he is good. Thirdly, thirdly, we learn here about the only way to do life. The only way to do life, we are created to follow. Sheep, good shepherd, so sir... Ma'am, I don't care that Daddy told you to stand on your own two feet. You weren't created for that. You were designed to be a follower. A follower of God. Me too. I need to get that because I'm terrible with instructions and directions. Let me just confess something to you. I've lived in this community for eight years and I got lost on the way to church last night. It's a gift. I came down Taft Hill... And Drake, there was a big sign. It said, Road Closed. <laughs> French. And, and uh, I thought, ah, the road is closed. <laughs> Peter Sellers, go away. And uh, 
I thought, I know what I can do. I can, I can circumnavigate my way through the housing area that is adjacent to Drake and I will work my way with a general sense of direction that I am gifted with This is a kind of rowdy crowd, this, you know. And I got lost. And what happens to me, I, I've said this before, I stop and ask for directions, but I don't listen. Do you do that? I get really bored. Say, so, excuse me, can you tell me the way to Timberline Church? So second left, third right, second, and I think, oh, stop. It's so boring. but I was the one doing the asking. And I'm like... <sighs> and I don't read directions when I'm cooking, because they, they kind of... And I don't read directions when I'm building that evil, put-it-together-yourself furniture. Does anyone know what I'm talking I hate that stuff. I always end up with a little piece left over at the end, like a door. And I don't read directions because they insult my intelligence. These are actual directions. I, I, I read some of these this week. These are actual directions from some uh, products. This pie will be hot when heated. <laughs> a label found on the underside of a pie. Do not turn this pie upside down. A label found on children's cough medicine. Do not drive after taking. <laughs> a label found on Nitol, the sleeping pill. Warning, may cause drowsiness. <laughs> a label found on Christmas tree lights. Warning, these lights are only for use indoors or outdoors. So I tend to ignore the directions. Are you ignoring the directions right now? Be careful who you listen to. I've been doing some Colorado history. I want to find out about the foundations of Colorado. We drove through Leadville this week and I discovered Baby Doe Table. How many of you have heard of Baby Doe Table? Half of you, three quarters of you, you haven't. You think I'm talking about a rock star or something. Baby Doe Table or she lived about 100 years ago, big scandal, won't go into all of that, but her husband had $11 million, that was a lot of money then, it's a lot of money now, he lost a lot, ended up working on his own, in his own mind for $2 a day. And when he died, it is said, the historians debate it, but it is said that he turned to his wife on his deathbed and said, don't leave the matchless. The matchless was the mine. Don't leave the matchless because it will, money will come again from the matchless. Do you know what happened? That woman, she sat in a cabin by the matchless mine for nearly 40 years. She dressed in rags. And she listened to someone say, do this. And she died a pauper because you listen to the wrong directions. Whose directions are you listening to, ma'am? Do you think you know better? One of the challenges with being a sheep is you can't see more than 15 yards. 
sometimes we think, ah, it's all right, I know best. We need to follow the directions. Finally, finally, here, fourthly, we see the essence of true love, sacrifice and inclusion. The essence of true love, sacrifice and inclusion. Love is a word that is abused because we use it in so many different ways. I love the Broncos. I love my wife. I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I love Colorado. I've used the same word. And a lot of what we call love isn't. Today, a lot of people will make love, but there will be little love in evidence. It will be about taking. It will be about using. It will be about self-gratification. And here in this passage, Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. He defines for us what the heart of true love actually is. And the heart of it is sacrifice. Inclusivity. Pain. I discovered recently the words of a surgeon, Richard Selzer who wrote his observations down after he had just completed a surgery on a young lady. And I'm not going to tell you the story, I'm going to read his words, because he's a surgeon and he's also a brilliant writer. But perhaps as you hear this true story, perhaps we'll understand a little more about the nature of real love. He says this, I stand by a bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted, in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon has followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut that little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they? I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have made who gaze at and touch each other so generously. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. And all at once I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze, for one is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. That's love. Love is not a feeling. Love, perhaps, for some is a choice to live under the calling and obligation of their vows rather than the demands of their whims and inclinations. 
It might be this morning that some of us are facing a challenge to love sacrificially. The good news is there is a shepherd. He's good and he wants to help us. We're going to pray together. Would you, would you bow your head with me please as we, as we pray? Father, we bow in the quietness of this moment. We thank you because we see in your word the beautiful portrait of not only a shepherd, but the good shepherd. We see here the startling confrontation of the reality that although we may be clever, sometimes ingenious, we human beings have this tendency to be like sheep and sheep are pretty good at wandering would you help us Lord as we wait before you would you help us to respond to you as our heads are bowed this morning I want to ask a tough question remember that picture of the sheep cast on its back, flapping away, unable to do anything about its situation, hopeful that perhaps that there'll be rescue. Maybe this morning that you find yourself in that place. You are helpless to do anything about where you're at. Now, many of us may find ourselves in a place like that. But some of us specifically know that we are in that place because of mad decisions we've made. And today we are facing the fact that we are in that mess and it's a mess of our own making. To acknowledge that may herald a brand new beginning. So as our heads are bowed, if you're in that place, I'd love to include you in a prayer. Would you slip your hand up, please, so I can see it? I'm in a mess. It's a mess of my making. I need the shepherd. I need his help. You can, you can put your hands down. We're going to pray in a moment. We ask you, Lord, that you will shape our vision of you. We thank you for the revelation that you are good. Not weak, not sentimental. You discipline those that you love. But where our image of you has been shaped by our upbringing, by negative religion, we pray that we will learn of you, that you are good. Help us to be followers. Help us to follow the directions. Save us when we think we know better. Perhaps, Lord, even now in our lives, we're trying to do it our way. Help us to embrace the joy of following. And finally, Lord, as we think about the shepherd laying down his life, sacrificial love, the one who twisted his own lips to accommodate ours, to show us that your kiss still works. We recognize, Lord, that there are some of us here today 
who are in a place where sacrificial love is demanded of us and we're struggling. Again, as our heads are bowed, if that's where you find yourself and you know, you don't need me to explain this, and you'd like to be included in a closing prayer, just slip your hand up so I can see it, please. You can put your hands down. To call for God to help us with sacrificial love is pleasing to Him. I think He honors us as we confess our need. So we're going to pray together one final time. Would you stand with me, please, if you're able? Let's stand together. Father, we pray today for those who find themselves helpless specifically because of decisions of their own making. However you do it, we pray that you will break into lives afresh and that you will be the rescuer. We pray too for those who find themselves in a place of needing to pass on your sacrificial love. Would you grant them grace, strength, patience, forbearance, so that this week, Lord, we might be those who hear your voice and follow you. Lord, we agree together. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Two things you need to know before you leave. Please don't miss this. Number one, our prayer team are going to be here in a few seconds to pray with you. We would love to do that if you would like prayer. And secondly, if you plan on sitting down now, please look behind you before you do so. Have a great weekend. God bless you. Enjoy that sunshine.